The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is very exciting. It's about public parts. Doesn't that sound funny? Actually, that's the name of the book by Jeff Jarvis. It's called Public Parts, How Sharing in the Digital Age Improves the Way We Work and Live. So that may sound kind of adversarial to what we talk about here on Privacy Piracy, but it's really not. And we're going to be speaking with a uh, Jeff who happens to be incredible. In fact, we're sitting here in Washington, T.C., having a field interview with Jeff right in front of me, handsome guy, who was a lot of fun, and and I got to listen to his keynote. And uh, Jeff blogs about media, news, technology, and business at buzzmachine.com. That's buzzmachine.com. And he appears weekly as a co-host on Leo Laporte's This Week in Google. I love Leo Laporte. I listen to him. He's from Leo his, is the best. He is. He is wonderful. He's great. Um, he's also an associate professor and director of the Tom Knight Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism. He is the author of What Would Google Do?, and he and of course the book i just told you which is public parts and he um you can join the conversation he lives in new york area i used to live in long beach new york uh he lives and my son lives in new york city okay and lloyd is pushing the microphone down here and you can join the conversation at buzzmachine.com slash public parts and on Twitter, at Jeff Jarvis and, what do we call that? <laughs> um, at, at, uh, the at sign. Oh, yeah, yeah, the at sign, uh, Public Parts. So this is a, a wonderful book, and I just bought it, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm going to get it signed. And But I took great notes during this wonderful conversation that you had with 2,000 people here at the International Association of Privacy Professionals. So you were talking about um, that you are a, a friend of privacy, but you also believe that and, and although privacy needs protection, publicness is really important. And you have this balance that you're talking about, publicness and the Internet, that we shouldn't overdo privacy. Why don't you talk a little bit about that with me? 
Publicness and privacy are not at odds. It's not either or. We have both. We have private lives and private notions and public uh, relationships. And, and so it's not that they're at war at all, but they have an impact upon each other. And in the, in the cur current furor about privacy, my fear is that we'll go so far trying to regulate against fears that we have that we may have an impact on our ability to use this magnificent new tool of publicness we all have, which is the Internet. Right. And I don't want us to overregulate that. Okay. So after you was the general counsel for Microsoft, and he said he agreed with you about that, but he also said that the law needs to catch up with privacy, um, with technology. And what are your thoughts about that? Well, the problem is that we don't know what the technology is yet. We don't know what the Internet is yet. It's very early. Uh, Elizabeth Eisenstein, who's the key scholar on, on Gutenberg, says that it took 50 years for the book to take on its own form. It was originally called automated writing, and, and the fonts were done like scribes' handwriting. Finally, the book came into its own 100 years, she says, before we had a sense of the impact, full impact on society. So I think it's very early in the Internet to know what it is. And to regulate it to our old world, uh, I think, is, um, is limiting and is dangerous. Now, there are laws already about a lot of the things that we're frightened about. There are certainly laws about child pornography, about identity theft, about um, privacy. And so my view is that what we should be doing is regulating the behavior more than the technology. If you regulate the technology to get to one behavior, you also affect all the other behaviors. So, example, uh, in Canada and in Australia, there are proposals to do legislation to um, filter the entire Internet uh -huh. uh, so that you could get to child pornography. Well, that power, that change in the architecture of the net put in the hands of Iran or China could be, I think, very damaging to free speech. There are unintended consequences to some of these efforts to regulate. Right. And there's unintended consequences of, of being open and free as well. And we're sitting here with a victim who, of identity theft. And when, when things are so free on the Internet and so much information is out there, it can be used by bad guys. And you were telling me, let me just well, finish. Yeah. And you were telling me, well, there's laws out there. The, the problem is, is that most of the laws can't keep up with that. So it appears to me. I, I, I disagree. Yeah. Okay. Um, because it's already illegal to steal someone's identity. That's right. law. That's theft. Right. Theft is theft. Right. So, um, and the fact that we heard it was done in a bank by an employee of the bank really has nothing to do with the net. Right. Uh, and so it's it's not so much to me. Well, it was all of, transferred on the net. Right, but it was okay. not an issue of privacy so much as an issue of theft. Right, it was. We have laws that do regulate that and do govern that. Right. Uh, so I think that what's happening now in the discussion is lots of fears and lots of things are being uh -huh. thrown under the privacy bus. Right. And, and, and that's where I see the danger. And, and it's normal and frequent that this happens with technology. Uh, technology changes life. It changes things. And so uh -huh. we, we're afraid of that, tech, of that change. We're unsure about it, at least. And so then there, somebody's going to come along and say, there ought to be a law. Right. Well, let's first look at the laws that already exist. Let's first look at the, the enforcement regimes that either do or don't work. And you made the point to me before we got on here that uh, there's, there's a lack of enforcement about identity theft. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a different issue. Sure. That's not about the technology. That's about whether our tax dollars are going to good end. 
Yes, and, and you brought up in your talk about the Kodak camera. That was that was the first real issue of defining privacy as the right to be left alone. And and that was, I mean, that was a new technology at the time. That was a camera. That was Kodak, and you know they were putting pictures in the newspaper. But Justice Brandeis, I mean, they did catch up. That became an issue of wor- people worrying about this new technology, and they did come up with at least some some structures that really still works today. And it's kind of forward thinking. And then our okay, right. Go so, ahead. so, so the story is that that uh, uh, it was 1890 paper in the Harvard Law Review by Brandeis and Warren mm-hmm. uh, that uh, talked about uh, the, the, the the Kodak camera, right? Uh, and and the, as you said, the chance that that your picture could suddenly appear in the penny press, right? And in fact, if you read uh, Brandeis and Warren, there's a, there's a lot of um, vitriol about mm-hmm. the press. Which, as a journalist, uh, you didn't like that. With. Yeah, uh, and 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 there were there were at the time. Uh, if you read the New York Times at the time, there's great clips talking about fiendish Kodakers lying in wait, and a young Vanderbilt who horsewhipped a Kodaker who snapped a picture of him, and President Roosevelt in this city, Washington, uh, banned Kodaking, as it was called, in uh, public parks. Well, there were other efforts to say that, that, that even in the public, you would have to get someone's permission to take their picture. Mm-hmm. Well, that would have an impact on what's public, right? And so there were efforts to push the law to that extreme. Uh, this is a case where actually the good thing was the law didn't go too fast. It didn't catch up too quickly. And the reason Brandeis and Warren had to write that paper was they had to find a right to privacy, a right, right to let alone. Right, because it isn't in the, in the federal constitution. Well, some would argue it's in the Fourth Amendment or in other right. places, but, but, but explicitly explicit, yeah, as a right to privacy. It's not sure. there. Right. Um, but they, they did indeed find it. It does exist in our law now, and it works pretty well. You're right. So, again, I'm saying it already works. You know, the Internet's not broken, and it's not broken society. Right. So let's not fix it. Right. Let's let it be. And you did talk about all the wonderful things in, that we have on the internet, and all the great, uh, you know, places that we can connect. And, and for for you, the connection and the free speech was more important than anything else. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that. Well, in this country, especially, you know, the First Amendment is paramount, and we really believe uh, that speech leads to a lot of good things. Even bad speech has to be protected. Right. Uh, to start to balance that against something else becomes an issue. I'll give you an example from the EU, where Vivian Redding, the um, Justice Minister of the EC, has put forth uh, some very detailed and lengthy proposals for new regulations. She talks, for example, about a right to be forgotten, which sounds very good, right? But what if I said to you in two weeks, I want you to forget this podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I'm embarrassed by it. I don't want it to be up here. I don't want people to know. You would say back, well, but, but no, it's mine too. Yeah. And you have a right to speech. And I'm impinging upon your right to speak. And you already authorized me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, a contract. Uh, and I'm that. a lawyer. <laughs> um, but, but right, so, so, so there's an impact there on, on another person's right. We, in a society, interact with each other. And the idea that you can have this right to be forgotten, I think, doesn't work. Another, another one of the pillars of the EU proposed regulations is uh, privacy by default. That sounds very good. But the problem with that is if, if, if that were the law of the land, we'd never have Twitter, we'd never have Flickr, which are public by default, which enable great things to happen because people are public. And they choose to be so. Right. Uh, they didn't have to sign a whole bunch of papers. They didn't have to tick off boxes all the time. They went into Twitter to, to, to talk to people. And that's what we do in a society. And you were talking, this is all really about sharing and communicating and connecting. And you were, you were, I was laughing when you were talking about emails, how we're overloaded, and we don't really know our, our, our 
kind of like whatever they call it about you know what what you can say like I'm too busy or what right, you know right, it does right. get crazy and I sent you a bunch of emails and I didn't get answers and I, and I figured you were busy it's crazy yeah I, yeah but I mean I feel like oh my gosh I get an email I get up at five in the morning I've got to answer my emails talk a little bit about that What's it's pretty really funny happening <laughs> here is that we're seeing an adjustment of the norms in society okay. right what we do how we interact with each other how we do things together and and so use email as an example it's not really about privacy but well, it could be if people oh, put sorry, private oh, no, things in there. Yeah, we're yeah, with this yeah, point, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Um, the norms there haven't caught up to the way technology's already changed how we live. But we used to have a busy signal. A busy right. signal was a great thing. I really miss it. <laughs> I wish I had it back. What it said was, but then, I'm call, then busy call wait now. came in. Right, which ruins that. Right, so when technology comes in and changes that. Right. And then you know, we, we try not to have call waiting in our home. We, we had no choice but to have Everybody it. Everybody got mad at you, right? I, I don't want it because I don't want to have the message there that I've got to respond to, right? Yes. So an email, right? We get overlord. My email is just beyond borked. It's horribly insane. Yes. And um, so what do we do about that? Well, we don't have the way to say yet, I'm busy. Right. We don't have the way to say also, we, we used to think that it was rude. If somebody went to the effort to write out a letter to you and, and put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and get it sent to you and all that effort and you didn't respond, well, that was seen as rude. Yes. Now, I think we have to redefine rude. Rude is sending me an email and expecting me to respond in 30 seconds and not knowing how busy I am. Yeah. And um, what we did instead, because we don't have that norm yet, then what we do instead is we lie. Right? Yes. The first lie we told was, uh, well, my, my email's broken. I, I, I must not have seen it. But then Google <laughs> took over email and made it work well. So the next lie was, well, you caught my spam filter. But then Google improved that too, taking away another <laughs> excuse. So what do we do now? I know a venture capitalist in New York who tells people on his blog that, that if Google doesn't put your email into his priority inbox in Gmail, you probably won't see it. So the new lie is, oh, I'm sorry, Google didn't prioritize you. Yeah. Those are, those are changes that technology brings. Email is a wonderful thing, all in all, but it also has an impact on how we interact with each other. And we haven't gotten the norms yet, the ways to say, of course I didn't respond to you. I'm right. crazed or, or, yeah. or you know, whatever, whatever we settle on as a society. Yes. The same thing is happening in privacy. The same thing is happening when, um, you know, look at it this way. I, in my book, I, I, I tried to grapple with the definition of privacy, and I found it extremely hard. I never it would have guessed how hard it is because it, it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, many and it's evolved over time. Exactly, and many are, many are very complicated. What I came down to was this, the idea that privacy is an ethic. It's an ethic of knowing someone else's information. And if I tell you something, and I tell you it's confidential, it's now public to this extent two of us. And what happens to that information is now out of my hands. It's now on your shoulders, the responsibility. And you have to decide whether telling someone else would be in my interest or not, your motivation for why you're doing it, the context in which you did it, the mm -hmm. impact upon me, mm -hmm. the responsibility you have if you're a company to have security of information. Right. Those are ethical decisions that come out of this idea. Now, yes. on the, on, uh, I also think that there's a concomitant uh, ethic of publicness which is an ethic of sharing your information. I talked on stage about how I had prostate cancer. I shared that openly. No one should have ever forced me to share that, but I chose to, and I got benefit out of that. And, got, and so got, do other people. Just right, like when Betty Ford talked about right. her breast cancer, 
And she did that not only to help herself, but to really help other people and be aware, just like you did with the prostate cancer. Exactly. And so I got benefit, I got support and help, but I inspired other men to go get tested. And, and, and that's a way that we could benefit. There's a generosity to sharing. Yes. No one should be forced to do it. Right. But we also have to recognize that publicness is an ethic too, where you decide how much you want to give to your yes. fellow members of society. And, and it gets to the whole issue of transparency, doesn't it, as well? Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, it, it, there's different definitions of transparency for different layers of society. Right? Again, I, I, no individual should be forced to reveal the secrets in their head or their lives. Right. But companies and governments, I think, are a different matter. Uh, start with government. Government is secret by default and open by force. Force could be a reporter. It could be a Freedom of Information Act request. It could be WikiLeaks and a, and a, right. and a whistleblower. Um, well, government, it's our government. It should be the opposite. It should be public, transparent, open by default, and secret by necessity. Yes. And there are necessary secrets around security and privacy right. and diplomacy. But government doesn't operate that way. It's ours. Companies, well, they shouldn't necessarily be forced to be open in every way. Mm -hmm. But a wise company today is going to learn to be open. That if they are open, if they are public, it leads to many benefits. Trust. Right. And the opportunity to collaborate with your customers. Yes. In the book, I write about a company called Local Motors in Arizona that is doing collaboratively designed cars, which sounds insane, but it's working incredibly well mm -hmm. uh, because they gave the respect and the opportunity and the tools to their customers. And so what happens is you put out a product that people actually want because you know it, because they help make it. Right. So publicness for a company, I think, becomes a wise strategy, transparency. One of the things we talked about um, uh, in the hallway here at IAPP is, and I mentioned on stage as well, is that I think my colleagues in media, advertising, and technology blew it big time with behavioral tracking and cookies uh, because they were too mysterious right. about not transparent enough about right. what they do, why they do it, what benefit accrues to the users. So it was very easy for the Wall Street Journal to come along and demonize cookies. Ooh, they're doing things to you. They know things. Well, the truth is, actually, internet companies know less about you than legacy companies did. I started a magazine called Entertainment Weekly, and I teach that case in my entrepreneurial journalism You started that? Yeah. Wow, I've read that. And so I, 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 I looked at the budget with my students this last term, and I realized there's a line on there called list rental, which meant that we sold your name and your address and what you read to a database company. And that was not if transparent. If you said that today, you'd be shot. Shot. <laughs> right? Well, the truth is, and this doesn't necessarily justify what goes on today, but the truth is that things that happened in the past were in many ways worse because most of the data online is anonymized. Cookies are not evil. They are necessary to the operation of the web and they are necessary, very importantly, to the economic support of media and journalism. And if we go to a, a regime of do not track or having to opt in, we're gonna devalue media on the internet overnight because of this fear of tracking. Well, what's the harm? Tell me what the harm is about saying that, oh, I saw you went to look at a story about going to Paris, now I'm gonna give you an ad for a Paris hotel. Right. Well, I'll tell you some of the harm, okay? Because I, I hear these things as a privacy attorney, and that is, let's say that I've bought things for a baby online, Okay, I went to Babies R Us and I bought all these things and that that, that information without my inf without my permission is, is sold and shared to many other companies and my baby dies. And then I start getting tons and tons of emails and, and all sorts of things about my baby. 
F, that that last that I cannot stop it, and my baby's died, and I am in grieving, and I've I've actually had this happen to a client. So that's the kind the of thing that there, there is, is a no harm. Technology. Problem there, and this is this is important. We have to we, if you want to regulate this, you regulate the behavior, not the technology. Okay, so the behavior the would be not the knowledge, right? And and I agree with you, but you were talking about opt in versus mm -hmm. opt out. So if I I guess I can opt out, but it, but the finding, it's not transparent who all it's been and I'm shared with. for more transparency for just right. the reason, so it's not demonized, number one. Right. Number two, in fact, the wise company will give you the power to get in and correct things and change things. Look at Amazon. Best example. I know oh, I know. Of, I love Amazon. Right? Uh, I, I bought a, um, uh, my wife used my account to buy some, uh, some CDs for Christmas of Taylor Swift for our daughter. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I'm getting recommended with all this stuff. <laughs> Believe me, I don't want. Well, what does Amazon do? It explains why it's recommending these things, and it gives me the opportunity to change it. Which, by the way, is great for Amazon because Amazon was was wasting those precious recommendation spots oh, yeah. on on teeny bopper songs I never would have bought. Okay, but that's from that's from Amazon, right? Or is that from other companies? Well, it's Amazon in that case. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. If if I have a relationship with a particular company like Amazon, which I also love, if I put privacy down, and then all of a sudden this book comes up, Public Parts: How Sharing in the Digital Age Improves the Way We Work and Live, I go, Thanks oh, for the plug. <laughs> I go, oh, well, that's up my alley. That's good for my radio show. I love it. But if I got something from another company that I don't do business with, that was shared with without my knowledge or permission, it was maybe about something that, that I didn't want them to send right. me. So, 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 so that's the difference. Let's talk about I, that in a few ways. Okay. One is that that was more prevalent in old media because you had uh, the means to share data, as I said, list rental. Right? That, we did that more in old media. In, in, in advertising, behavioral targeting opportunities, most of that is anonymized data. They don't know who you are, so they couldn't do that. Amazon could, because it does have your name and address. But Amazon doesn't do that, because they get in trouble. Now, the, the next piece of this is that we talk a lot about, uh, just as cookies are demonized, the other uh-oh phrase is third parties. Mm -hmm. oh, no, third parties, because third parties put the cookie on. Well, yeah, they have. It's obvious why. Uh, early in the internet, when I worked for Condé Nast, um, uh, oh, you were for Connie I, Ness, I love that too. Back, back days, yeah, I'm, all <laughs> I'm gonna adopt you. I love you. <laughs> um, so, so I remember. I think I'm pretty sure it was it was General Motors and also uh, Procter and Gamble insisted on serving their own ads mm -hmm. because that way they didn't we didn't they didn't necessarily trust the companies who served their ads to give them what they wanted. They wanted to use targeting to get more effective ads. They wanted the data on those ads. They were paying the bills. It was fine. Well, so that's a third party. Mm -hmm. uh, or double click, double click now owned by Google. Oh, remember ads. the big brouhaha with double click? Oh my gosh, they right. got in trouble with the FTC. Now they're well, different. Part yeah. of what we, okay, two things. So first, I think that we go crazy with with these demonizations like cookies and third parties and mm -hmm. tracking. Mm -hmm. They're not bad. Second, importantly, this is all new and we're learning. Yes, and we're improving. So so look at Facebook. And I write about this in the book. The Facebook did blow it. Uh, they did cause problems because they weren't open enough. Or really more to the point, what they did was that, that in a conversation you thought was having with a small group, something yes. you found was more public than you imagined. And when you read their privacy policy and understood what it was and felt comfortable, then all of a sudden they it changed, changed it without, was, without was, even letting was, you know. It was, yeah, It was bad business. That's not wrong. transparent. But a lot of this is, I, mean, I, I interviewed Zuckerberg for the book, and, and I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he's done a brilliant job. Mm -hmm. But they had to learn. They had to make mistakes and learn, and we've got to allow that to happen in society and in business. And, and so what both Facebook and Google Plus do now, which is far, far better, is that at the moment you share, you make a decision about that sharing. 
It's brilliant. It's exactly the way it ought to operate. I don't think that they, they didn't do that in the past because they were malicious. I think they, they, they didn't learned. get it. Yeah, they didn't they get learned. it. Yeah. They improved. So they had to make mistakes. Um, and the world didn't collapse because Google had buzz, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and that became the cause of huge furor and regulation in, in Germany and so on. So I think we have to allow these companies the opportunity to learn based upon principles like an ethic of privacy that say this is the behavior that, that your customers and we all expect of you. Mm -hmm. Now, the Federal Trade Commission, of course, can, if you, if you put that in the policy, can now regulate on that basis, and that's why they went after Google and Facebook. Whether it's a deceptive practice, right. That's right. one of their charges. Right. Yeah. We are speaking with Jeff Jarvis, who's sitting right at this table with me and did a great keynote. Thank you again. And he is the author of Public Parts, How Sharing in the Digital Age Improves the Way We Work and Live. And it's true. I mean, I could go on and on about all the benefits, and I'm not anti-technology. Have you heard about privacy by design, you know, Anne Kuvikian, who is the Privacy uh, Commissioner of Ontario, Canada, has really set this forth, and, and she also isn't against technology, and, and Joe Sidmidian, who is a, um, a senator from the state of California, who is also, he's in, you know, the Silicon Valley, he's pro-technology, but he keeps talking about, can't you, at the time you're creating these wonderful things, put into the architecture of the products, thinking about how it's going to affect people. I think that's the beauty of thinking about privacy. Well, let's think about this in the full range of things. Okay. I, I'm on the Future of Privacy Forum's advisory board, which okay. is an industry yeah. group, right? Ju uh, yeah, Jules. And, and, yeah, Jules is great. Yeah. And um, there was discussion at the one meeting I attended about privacy by design and about trying to literally design stuff. Yeah. Well, the problem with the conversation I have with the, problem, the conversation was that, and the problem I have with much of this conversation is that the topic was only about privacy. The internet is a great place to share things. In fact, let me give you the most important rule of rules. The internet is a crappy place for secrets. Oh, if you have a secret, <laughs> don't put it on exactly. the internet. And the problem is, is that what you tell your kids? Yeah. <laughs> the problem is not technology. The problem is gossipy friends. Right? The yes. problem is a person who would violate it. Right? So, so let's yeah. remember one. Most smart people know that, right? Dana Boyd, uh, who does brilliant research out of Microsoft and NYU, has done a lot of research on young people who do protect their privacy more than we give them credit for because they could control meaning. So. Um, you shouldn't put things on the internet, I think, that you want to keep secret. Stay right. ahead. Right. Uh, I forget where I was going, but that's all right. Okay. <laughs> well, we were talking about privacy by design. Oh, by design. Okay. <laughs> so, so the problem I had with this discussion was that, uh, well, number one, that it sounds a lot like privacy by default, and that's a problem. I think there's a, well, some people almost presume that it means default. Uh, uh, but this is not the that intention That is my there. perception. That's not the intention okay. there. So privacy by design, when I heard this discussion about the design, I said, well, but you're, 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 all you're doing is going into the end of the process. You're not taking account of the motive of why someone's there. If someone's on Facebook, they're there to share. Exactly. And, and, and it, what you should be asking is, what gets in the way of doing that effectively? Facebook should be asking this too. Yes. So it's not just about, well, we're going to put some tick boxes and we're going to put some uh, logos and we're going to put some icons. and That doesn't get you anywhere. Well, what you it know, should Jeff, be is instead I, I, saying. I agree with you. But Jeff, listen, you know, if you want to build a house, and my husband here, Lloyd, is a builder, okay? And so when you do that, you, you design. If you design mm -hmm. how the people want to live, well, you know, we want to have a deck so we can see the ocean. We want to have this. We want to have that. We want to have a little cubbyhole place for the kids to play. If you are thinking ahead about how people will use it and want to use it, 
then it's not like after the fact with these add-ons that it makes it a I mess. Agree with all and that. that's the, I that's agree the with point all that, about privacy by design. Know. But you look at Twitter. I interviewed uh, But Williams. if you know, people want to share, and that's a given. Right. So that's that's where you start, and then you say what what gets in the way of that sharing. If you look at Twitter, Twitter's original design was that you were going to have one update, and it was going to be replaced by the next update. Right. It would never have allowed what we've seen. Flickr's, yeah. Flickr's original uh, choice they made, they saw photo services out there uh, all made your photos private because that was the assumption which one. Who wants the whole world to see your photos? Right. Well, Flickr decided out of nowhere to make it public by default. And look at the amazing things that happened. People shared photos and they created communities. And, and you look at the tag funny in Flickr and you find great stuff. Right. Those things, what I'm saying is that, yes, when you create the site, you think you can imagine all the uses and all the possibilities, but mm -hmm. most entrepreneurial technology companies can't. They nice. have to learn as they go because they don't know what the thing is. Twitter still doesn't know what it is. But I think it's great to have the discussion and to think about it. And we only have a couple of minutes left, but I, I'm kind of skipping to the end of your book about the new world. So if you could kind of in, in the next two minutes before Lloyd hits the table here, talk a little bit and, and just it, it'll be like an appetizer for your book here about who will protect publicness that you really support? What I argue is what we need to do is we also need, we need to protect privacy. And I believe that firmly. But we also need to protect the tool of public, publicness, the Internet. And so I argue that we need a discussion around principles. Principles such as a right to connect to the net. And if your connection is cut off, it's a violation of human rights. A right to speak and act and assemble. The notion that privacy is an ethic of knowing, publicness is an ethic of sharing. The idea that what's public is a public good. The idea that uh, institutions, not individuals' information, should be open by default and secret by necessity. And finally, that every bit is created equal. And if one bit is discriminated against, blocked, shifted around, then no bits can be presumed to be free. That's the, that's the First Amendment of the net. And lastly, that the Internet itself needs to be open and distributed. That's what enables it to be free. Wow, I don't think we can go much better than that. So I just want to thank you. And why don't you give your websites? So in this last uh, minute. My blog is BuzzMachine, buzzmachine.com. And on Twitter, I'm uh, Jeff Jarvis. And we'll, we won't send you any emails. We're going to just have to because comment on your blog. As hell. Okay, so, but, but we can blog on your, we can yes. add to your blog. Yes. You've been wonderful. And thank you so thank much you for so taking much. the time. It's fun. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.